So we're going to get started. So if you would stand with me, we will finish the book of Ephesians. We will read together, starting in verse 21. There we go. Starting in verse 21, here we go. So that you may also, so that you also may know, all together now, so that you may, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. These are the words of the Lord. Oh man, David's not here to carry you guys today, so you're going to have to step it up. These are the words of the Lord. Praise be to God. One more time. One more time. We're learning this together. These are the words of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It's all right. Like we talked about last week, we're embracing the awkwardness, learning new things. So one of the things that tends to happen when I read um, the epistles, and I think it tends to happen to most of us when we read the epistles, and when I preach through um, Paul's letters and the other letters as well in the New Testament, we kind of get to the last four or five verses where they're kind of saying goodbye and doing their salutations and all that. And we just kind of die off, don't we? It's like, oh, Paul says this and this and this, and then he says goodbye, right? And sometimes it's, we're even tempted to just kind of, oh, we don't need to preach about that. He's just saying goodbye. It's no big deal. But here's uh, one of the things that I want to say. We have some fans of the Bible Project in here, right? Yeah. So that's another ministry that we uh, help support. But one of Tim's favorite things to say, Tim Mackey, um, one of his favorite things to say is that the writers of the scriptures and uh, the people back then, um, their brains weren't melted by Twitter and TV. Uh, and so there, there's a level of brilliance, like just straight up, like t- take the, the divine nature of the scriptures aside, right? And just look at them from a human uh, literary standpoint. There is some brilliance in these letters that we overlook because our brains have been melted by Twitter and TV. But, so, here's what I want to do today. I want to walk through these verses, specifically the last two verses, and see what it is that Paul is communicating to the Ephesians, Ephesian people, because it's profound, all right? Now, one of the things that I really loved about the first verse is the fact that uh, in this room, every single one of us said, um, Tychicus's name differently, because let's be honest, we're not experts on pronouncing biblical names, are we? All right, so let's look at verses 21, 22 uh, really quick, and then we're going to move into 23 and 24 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, and I'm going to talk fast so I can get all my stuff done. All right, here we go. So in verses 21 and 22, Paul introduces us to this guy named Tychicus, right, who's the, the, the letter carrier. He's the the, the mail service, as it were, for Paul, he's going to carry this letter to the Ephesian people. And Paul actually says that not everything that I want to tell you, I've told you in this letter, Tychicus will fill you in on all these things. And he also says that he's sending 
him to them to be an encouragement to them. So I don't know, like, we don't walk long distances. Like, this is a, again, when we read these letters, we we, we take for granted what an unbelievable undertaking they are doing. Like, he's taking a letter from Paul and walking hundreds of miles to give it to a church so that they might be encouraged in what Paul said to them, all the things that we've been going over the last few months. It's an unbelievable amount of dedication, an unbelievable amount of love, an unbelievable amount of servitude on behalf of people that they care for, many of whom they've never met, right? Many of whom they would never meet. In fact, there's, there, there's, in all likelihood, they didn't know this guy. This guy was a complete stranger that was coming to them to encourage them and to bring the words of Paul. So I think sometimes we overlook those things, but when, if we really stop and think about what it is that Paul's writing, what it is that he's saying, who is it that he's introducing, we can start to feel what it was like for them to have these relationships. It was incredibly different because they were not nearly as connected as we are. But there's also good evidence to suggest that the relationships that they had were actually deeper because they didn't take those connections for granted, because they didn't have those connections at the drop of a hat. And so the encouragement for us in those verses is to not take these things for granted. We shouldn't take for granted the fact that we can get in our car and drive to church on a Sunday morning. We shouldn't take for granted the fact that we can uh, pull this little weird thing out of our pocket and punch seven, seven? No, eight. Eight numbers? Ten. My gosh, right? It's how often I actually call people. Ten numbers into this box, and I can actually have a conversation with somebody else that's miles away. We take these things for granted. We take these relationships that we have for granted. And we see the richness of the relationships that they had in these letters with people that they had never met. And the reason those relationships were so rich was because they knew that what they shared in common, the thing that they had in common, which was the love of Jesus and all the things that Paul just talked about throughout the book of Ephesians, were really all that mattered. So there was a love and a closeness closeness that they had with one another. Again, that I think is lacking today because of the fact that those relationships don't any longer have the depth that they were meant to have because we're spread out so thin. So I want to encourage us, those two verses, that's my encouragement for us, is that we would not take for granted the relationships that God has put in our life. I'm talking about the people that you see daily, weekly. I'm not talking about the people that that you knew 30 years ago that your Facebook friends that live on the other side of the country that you send a a happy birthday to. Now, we can develop deep relationships through those means that I believe that God has given us, but we cannot take for granted the people that God has put in front of us. We cannot take for granted the people that live across the street from us. We cannot take for granted the people that we sit next to in church every week who we don't even know. There are relationships that God has put in front of our faces that we cannot take for granted. We need to invest in them. So then Paul moves on. In verse 23, he says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. And so here's where I think that Paul is kind of reminding them of things that he just spent the last six chapters talking about. So what I want to do is tackle four words that he just said in those two verses and go back throughout the book and see like why he's saying this at the very end of the letter. Why is he saying that particular word, starting with peace? If we remember, in the first three chapters, one of the big things that Paul talked about was this idea of peace. And there are two areas, two ways that we have been given peace. We've been given peace with one another, and we've been given peace with God. So the two primarily, primary problems that, that the human race has is that we are in hostility with one another, alienated from one another, and we are in hostility towards God and alienated from God. Those are the two primary, primary problems with the human race outside of Christ. So Paul is saying in Ephesians that peace has been given to us. The peace has been made and it has been given to us. Paul says in chapter 2, we'll start in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once who are far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So there's a bunch of stuff going on here, right? So the big thing going on here is that uh, the covenant people of God throughout the Old Testament, the, the people that God said he had set apart for himself were who? the Jews, the Israelites. And so what we see in the New Testament is now the grace of God being given to all mankind, being included into the covenant promises of God. And one of the physical ways that we saw that, uh, and when he says this, I think that this is like an incredibly rich picture, and I wish I had a a picture of it for for you up here. He says... um, in verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So there's, this is more than just a metaphor, this dividing wall of hostility. In the temple, right? If I wish I had a picture of here, up here for you guys. The temple had a great big courtyard around it. And then outside of that courtyard was another courtyard. And what this courtyard, this outer courtyard was, was the area where the Gentiles were allowed to worship. They were not allowed to go into the temple court. They had to stay on the outside in this outer courtyard. And so when Paul is saying that Christ in his own flesh broke down the dividing wall of hostility, he's literally talking about this wall that existed between where the Jews worshipped and where the Gentiles worshipped. He's saying that wall has been broken down. So now there is no hostility between Jew and Gentile. We have been reconciled to one another. And we can take that idea and that scripture and we can apply it to all ethnic diversity where there has been hostility. Because Christ died to break down those walls. Christ died to give us peace with one another. 
And then in chapter 2, verse 16, he says uh, that, that he also came to reconcile us to God in one body through the cross. And that Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. So who, who, who were those that he's saying were near? The Jews, right? So Christ came and preached peace to, to us, the Gentiles, who are far off and to the Jews who are near. The same peace has been given to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Peace has been made for us with God and with each other. So in chapter 6, when Paul says, peace to you, the Ephesians would know what kind of peace he was referring to. Not this kind, right? This is a real, lasting, eternal peace that has been given to us through the cross of Christ. The second word that he uses is love, right? In chapter 6, verse 23, he he prays that they would have love with faith. So there's two kinds of love that he talks about in the book of Ephesians. He talks about God's love to us or towards us in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. How did God do all these things? Through Christ in love. Through Christ in love. God's love towards us is seen over and over and over and over and over. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. In love, God made us his children. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in, once we wa- in which we once walked and were following the courses of this world. We were dead. And then verses 4 and 5 said, told us what? But God, being rich in mercy because of what? The great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So when Paul closes his letter and says that he prays that they would have love with faith, we know what kind of love he's talking about, right? Not 2018 love. Not this feeling. He's talking about a very sacrificial, purposeful, servant love that he gave to us and asks us to give to each other. In chapter 1, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul's affirming the fact that they have been loved by Jesus so that now they are loving all the saints. They are loving one another. And again, this love flows out of the peace that we have with God and with each other. Even in the way Paul is saying these things, he's working his way through these things very theologically. He's actually teaching them in the way that he's saying goodbye to them. In the way that he's ending his letter, he's teaching them these things very purposefully. In chapter 4, when Paul, if we remember, the first three verses of Ephes- or first three chapters of Ephesians are all about who we are in Christ, right? Over and over and over that term is used. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. 
Paul telling us that this is our identity. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. It's our identity. So then in chapter 4, he starts to transition uh, out of our identity to say, how do we live? If we are in Christ, how then do we live, right? So in chapter 4, he says, therefore, okay? Right? Again, we, we look at this word, therefore, and we ask, what's it there for? It's a transition from, if this is true, then this. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I don't think it's an accident that Paul uses those words. In verse 2, he says, bearing with one another in love. Amen? You guys have to bear with your husband or your wife in love at times? Yes. The answer is yes. It's okay. You can say it, right? I know they're sitting right next to you. You can say it because they're saying yes as well. Paul is saying that that's how the saints, that's how we should relate to each other. I don't believe for a second that I don't drive some of you nuts. I know for a fact that I do. And I don't want you to believe for a second that there's some of you that don't drive me nuts. But we have been given peace between us and God. We have been given peace with one another. We have been shown the truest love that has ever existed and ever will exist and have been given a command and the ability to show that love to each other. So again, what we see in chapter 4 is, okay, Christ died for you, so you better obey. What we see in chapter 4 is a transition out of this is who you are and this is who he is. This is who you are in him. So if we are in him, we will walk in this way because of what he has done for us. We've been so profoundly and fundamentally changed by the peace and the love that we have been given in Christ Jesus that it profoundly and fundamentally changes how we live. And so Paul is simply spelling out what that looks like. Let's read it again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's not saying, if you have been called, he's saying you have been called, so walk in it, right? Isn't this what, what Luke told us? We set these things aside, and then we walk in them. These actions are not ours, they're his, but we still walk in them. And we talked about, he talked about how uh, odd that seems, but yet how true it settles in our hearts. These things are not our identity. Christ is our identity. And so we walk in these things. And then in, in chapter 5, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, again, you are beloved children. He doesn't say, if you're beloved children. He doesn't say, if you don't walk, then you're not. He says, because you are. You are. You are beloved children, so therefore be imitators of God. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, the same love that he gave us, we've been commanded to give to each other. Bearing with one another, sacrificing for one another. 
in love. What does that look like? Look at Jesus. What did it look like for him to love us? That's how we love one another. And this is, again, this is completely different from how our world views love and how our world views peace, for that matter, right? It's completely different. And the third thing is faith. Again, in, in verse 23, he said that we would love with faith. That we would love with faith. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 again, uh, Paul says that we have been saved through faith, right? Our salvation is through faith. And then he goes on to tell us that, uh, that the salvation that we received, including the faith that we had to believe, is made possible because it was a gift from God. And if you remember months ago when we talked about that, how crazy that is and how hard it is to wrap our minds around the fact that even the faith that you and I have to believe in Jesus was a gift so that no one can boast in it. No one can boast in anything about their faith because it is a gift from God. He says that in chapter 2, verse 9. But we have to talk about this a little bit more, okay? When Paul's talking about faith, he's talking specifically about saving faith. The faith that saves. If we are saved through faith, or like, yeah, faith, right? But he's talking specifically about saving faith. And here's what I mean by that. I have to believe this in order for it to take effect right? That's, that's, that's correct. If I don't believe these things, they will, I, I don't have faith in them. But it's more than just believing. It's more than just affirming that this is true. Is it possible that a person could uh, historically and pragmatically agree with everything that the gospel says and not be saved? Yes, because that's not necessarily saving faith. Does that make sense? There's a big difference between believing a historical fact and having saving faith in something. I believe Abraham existed, but I'm not going to die for that fact. There's a fundamental difference between those things, right? Right? It's, not, it's so much more than just belief. It's so much more than just uh, a verbal affirmation of a fact. In fact, James chapter 2 says that, uh, that you believe, in verse 19 it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So it's more than just affirming that this is true. Satan and his demons know very well that these things are true and yet they do not have a saving faith. The simple fact is that you can believe all the details of the gospel and not be saved. Because saving faith takes one more step. Uh, if you remember when we were in chapter 2, we talked about the, the, the faith fall that we all did at summer camp when we were kids, right? One dude stands on a table and everybody stands behind them, right? And does this with their arms. And it's the trust fall, right? Trust fall. 
And in, in a pr- primitive form, this is kind of what we're talking about. It's one thing for me to say, right? Because So I was the guy in junior high and high school that was like, oh yeah, I'll jump off that bridge. But when it came time to do it, I always had an excuse. Yes, there's some other guys in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's one thing for me to say, I believe those people will catch me. It's another thing for me to stiffen my back and actually fall, right? There's a difference between believing and faith. There's a difference between actually trusting those people, not necessarily with my life, but with, you know, maybe some bruises and a headache. There's a massive difference. So saving faith is faith that places absolute trust in those things. So a saving faith in Jesus is a faith that places absolute trust in the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. He is the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He, raised, he was raised from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and is coming back one day for us. Placing all of my trust, all of my hope, everything that I have in those things is a saving faith. So when Paul says, love through faith, he's saying that our love flows out of the fact that we have given everything over to Jesus. Nothing less. And then the fourth thing is grace. Appropriate, right? In the last verse, in verse 24, he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, he doesn't just say you have been saved through faith. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? And this is part of the reason that he goes on to say that it's not of works, lest anybody should boast. Uh, and the part of the reason that he says that even the faith we had to believe was a gift because it's all by grace. Now, the crude definition of grace is unmerited favor. So the fact that, that he says grace means that there is nothing that we did to earn it, nothing that we did to deserve it. In fact, if we go back to our first point and say, talk about our, our main two problems as humanity is that we are in hostility with God and in hostility with one another, And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The picture here is not us coming alongside Jesus and agreeing with him and accepting him. The picture here is us running the opposite way from God and from each other and him grabbing us, turning us around and giving us the opportunity to believe. That's the picture here. It is his grace that gives us the faith to believe. We don't see his grace because of our faith. His grace gives us the faith. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Over and over and over, the New Testament tells us this fact, that we did not do anything to deserve 
any of this. So as Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians, he's not just saying, okay, here comes Tychicus, and he's going to tell you all this stuff, and it's going to be good. I love you. I miss you. He does all of that, and then in the end, he has to get in one more chance to preach, one more chance to teach, because these things are so important. The peace that we have with each other is so important. The faith that we have been given is so important. The love that we have been shown and now are to show one another is so important. And understanding that all of these things are through the grace that has been given to us is so important. But there is nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do to earn any of this. There is no favor from God that I can earn because it has already been freely given. And the trap that you and I constantly fall back into is that if we miss too many weeks of church, if we miss too too many days reading our Bible, if we don't pray enough, if we don't do this, 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 and this, or if there are things that we do too much, like, oh, I drank too many beers that day, or if I, I cussed too much this day, or I yelled at my kids too much, then all of a sudden, we start to feel like the favor of God is slowly being removed from us. Or somehow, uh, because we're not doing these things and we're doing too much of these things, that he's shaking his head or wagging his finger going, what is wrong with that guy or that girl? And yet that's not what the Scriptures tell us at all. His grace and his favor are freely given to the point that as a child of God, when God looks at me, what does he see? He sees Jesus. Let's take it a step further. When God looks at you at your worst, what does he see? He sees Jesus. At your worst. Okay, just stop, close your eyes, and think about your worst, whether it's in here or out here, either one, doesn't matter. I don't even like to go there. In that moment, as a child of God, you are viewed as blameless and holy. That's the kind of grace that changes people's, like this idea that we are in Christ, we've been fundamentally changed, that can only happen through this kind of love and this kind of grace. The fact that you were and are loved despite yourself. This is the grace that Jesus gave freely and offers to us daily to be saved and to live, right? to be saved and to live. Uh, One commentator said that, that we need this grace in order to survive in a world that will hate us as it hated Christ. So when Matt was talking about the idea that we are set apart, over and over and over we see in the scriptures that at some point we will be hated by the world because of that. Now this is going to look different for everyone. but I know very real what this feels like. I've never been persecuted, but I've lost friendships. 
There are things that I have chosen to walk away from in my life and people and things that have chosen to walk away from me in my life because of this. This does not necessarily mean that we're going to be put in prison and beheaded like Paul was, but it does mean at some point you are going to suffer very real, tangible loss, and it will hurt because of this, because of the gospel. In chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, he says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What has he blessed us with? His glorious grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He didn't just give us it. He lavished it upon us. Abundant grace. Not just enough. Abundant grace. You and I have been given that. You and I have been given that grace to live today, to live tomorrow, to love one another, to bear with one another, Not perfectly. My wife and I were actually having a conversation last night about some ways over the last who knows how long a time where we, I feel like I have done certain things that have not been beneficial to some relationships in this room. We're not perfect. Like nowhere in Scripture and nowhere in any of this are you and I expected to be perfect. We are expected to love Jesus and to love one another, understanding that even that is going to be imperfect. But we have been given these things. We have been given peace with each other through Jesus. We have been given peace, eternal peace with God through Jesus. We have been granted faith and love for God and for each other through that faith, and we have been granted this unbelievable grace. It's got to change the way we live. And I think it is. I look around this room and I see people that I've known for 10 years. I see people, a couple that I've known longer than that. But most of us, I mean, some of you have known each other longer than that. But most of the people in this room have known each other less than five to seven years. And yet there are people in this room that I am closer with than I am my own family. I love my family. That's not a diss on my family. I'm just saying, like, we have grown close imperfectly, but that's okay. It's okay. I don't think it's an accident that Paul ended his letter this way. I don't think it's just formality that he ended his letter this way. I think Paul ended his letter this way on purpose to remind the Ephesians and to remind us of these truths as he was closing it out. So I want to remind you guys as I close out my sermon today that there are ways in which we can actively walk in this. There are ways that we have programmed for you, like showing up at 10 
so that you can have coffee and donuts with the other people, and that's 15 minutes. It's minor. But I've had some profound conversations in those 15 minutes. There are other ways, like small groups that we have both on Thursday night, so it's not a huge variety. But those are ways that we have created space for us to spend time with one another and to draw closer together. But I will just say this. It is not the church's job to program relationships. It is our job as members of the body of Christ to reach out to one another and to serve one another and to care for one another. So my charge and my challenge to you and to myself is that we need to grow in this. I'm not saying we're doing a bad job, but I'm saying that we need to grow. We need to take more steps. We need to move towards Christ-likeness in this. We do not love each other the way Christ loved the church yet. We have room for growth in that, right? Amen? So my prayer is that we, over the course of the summer, will do that. Summer's amazing. I read an article, I actually posted it, I put it on our church's uh, Facebook site about uh, planting churches in small towns and how uh, small town community, so we live in a small town, most of us do. There's a few of us from Salem or Silverton, <laughs> or Eagleton. We can call it Eagleton, right? Some of you. I'm just kidding. Uh, so we, but most of us understand what it means by living in small town community, right? But there's a problem, and the problem is that small town community is not necessarily biblical community, even though there's an idol, an idolatry behind small town community. But you know what exists in small-town community? Gossip. Slander. Prejudice. Pride. Rampantly. I grew up in a small town, even smaller than this one. I grew up in Jefferson. Like one grocery store, and it wasn't even, like nobody shopped there because it was so expensive. I know what small town is like. I grew up in one. And I now live in one. Although to me, Staten's not really a small town. It's a booming metropolis because we have Safeway and McDonald's. But think about this. Some of you grew up in Staten. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in Sublimity and you know what I'm talking about. The other thing about small town community is that it's very seasonal. So here's my challenge. Don't just take community for granted because you live in a small town and you think everybody's in community. It's just not true, okay? And second of all, don't take the summer off. And what I don't mean by this is, hey, make sure that you're in church, right? Because yes, our attendance, as sparse as it is already, is going to take a nosedive for the next two months because y'all are on vacation. Your kids are out of school, I understand. Like, there's just a season of life. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about don't take a season off from this. We have time to live in community, to love one another, to be at peace with one another, to grow in these things. Actually, you might say we actually have more time to do these things than we do throughout the normal year. So let's do it, right? Figure out how to do it. Figure out how to love one another 
get to know one another so that you can know how to love one another. My wife and I had this conversation all the time. In order to love someone, I have to know them, at least to a certain extent, right? But we have to step out in faith. We have to step out in love. We have to understand that we are at peace with one another. All of these things that we just talked about, all these things that Paul said over and over and over all throughout the book of Ephesians. So my challenge to us is this. Throughout this summer, take these things seriously and walk in them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask that you would be with us as the weather gets better, as we spend more time in our yards, as we see more of our neighbors, as we see more of the people around us because it's not raining. God, we have more opportunity to love one another. We have more opportunity to build relationship in ways that we just don't normally do. So we ask, Father, that you would give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see the opportunities to love, the the opportunities that we have to bless, the opportunities that we have uh, to be different from the world, Lord. Help us to see those and help us to walk in them. We pray these things in your name, amen.